0: We begin a new series today um, called Conform to the Image of Christ. And our our opening scripture for this is Colossians, which you can find on page 10. This is uh, Colossians uh, 1, a section of that, and then a little section from chapter three. Hear God's word. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And in chapter 3, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian slave free, but Christ is all and in all. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give us a vision this morning of Christ and what it means to be um, a person, a human being that is conformed and made in his image. Uh, Meet us in your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we uh, start a series today that will really kick off a whole year of thinking, what does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to be a human being? In particular, what does it mean to be created in the image of God, which is Uh, one of the most vivid uh, descriptions in the Bible of what God created human beings to be and in the Genesis account which we had from our sacred reading in the in the Genesis account we have on the sixth day God is creating all of animal life and it says that he creates each of the animals the the birds of the heavens the fish of the sea the creep things that creep on the ground according to their own kind But when God shifts in the very end of the sixth day to creating human beings, the language shifts. No longer is it uh, created according to their own kind, but rather created after the image and likeness of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have um, dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so god created man in his image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them as this account makes very clear um, and the rest of the bible and the whole story of the bible builds on human beings play a essential intermediary role within creation they have an essential position they are not god we are not god and yet um, we have been endowed with, as image bearers, with godlike character in ruling and responsibility within creation. We are clearly uh, part of creation. We we share the same stuff, materially speaking, of all the rest of animal life, biological life, and yet we are we are exalted. Um, we have responsibility we have a certain character that sets us apart from all of creaturely life and it's this exalted and lofty view of the human being and human nature in genesis 1 that gets picked up in our call to worship which is psalm 8 um, which is really again a reflection on the meaning of the image of god even though though it doesn't use that language of image of god Um, it's worth again reading that psalm in full. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. Now when I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all (coughs) sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The, the Psalmist begins in reflecting on, on just the universal majesty and glory of God, which becomes revealed through the heavens and Earth, and, and he looks at the sun and the moon and the stars and their, their, their glory. and then he turns to the human being and asks, "Well, I mean, in the light of how these glorious uh, objects that praise you, Lord, what is a human being? What, are, what is man? I, mean, Why are we not just cosmic stardust compared to all these different things?" And yet what we learn is that human beings are more than, far more than cosmic stardust. In fact, they are the most exalted of all creation, just below the heavenly beings. There's no greater object of glory and honor than the human being within creation. And I think that's, that's the biblical view, is that of all the things that God created, that can proclaim His majesty and His glory, there is no part of creation that can more brightly and more brilliantly display and show forth the glory of God than the human being. That's, that's what Psalm 8 teaches, and that's the assumption of the Bible. And you, as you look at the history of religions and philosophies and spiritualities, from the beginning, from ancient cultures all the way to the contemporary world, you will not find in any of those a more exalted high view of what it means to be a human being than the one you encounter in the Bible. In our culture, Western culture, um, we talk a lot about you know, universal dignity and human rights and justice for all. All of that is inconceivable without this view of the person. We're all downstream in history from this glorious view of what it means to be a human being created in God's image. But unfortunately, we know that this isn't the whole story. Um, We know that shortly after we were created, through the first human couple in the garden, the whole human race in Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against the Creator. Rather than fulfill our role as image bearers to show forth the glory and the likeness of God within creation, we lost our original righteousness, our original justice, our honor through sin. If you remember Romans 3 when Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think this is a, a really helpful verse to have in mind because it helps us visualize in, in categories of the person what happened at the fall. We talk about the fall. Well, what, did, what did we fall from? We fell from glory. We, we fell from the high status and place that God placed us as those who are filled with righteousness and glory. We fell from those heights. We have lost the honor and the justice and the righteousness that we originally possessed. We have, again, fallen short of the glory of God. And to fall short of the glory of God as a human being is nothing less than to be less of a human being than God originally intended us to be. Now, the fact that we are fallen creatures does not mean that we cease to be image bearers. Even as sinners, we are still created in the image of God. But that The reality is is that the image of God in us is distorted and and disfigured in a comprehensive way. Um, We sometimes talk about the sinful human nature in terms of the category of total depravity. And total depravity means that there is no part of us, of our nature as human beings, that is not uh, affected by sin our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our brains, our souls, our spirit, every conceivable part of what makes a human being a human being has been marred, has been affected and afflicted with the reality of sin. But again, that doesn't mean we're still not image bearers, but it actually does mean, make the situation even more dangerous and dire. Because we're still endowed as human beings with godlike responsibilities, and power within creation to have dominion and authority. But the problem is we no longer have the godlike character to do it with righteousness, right? And so we still exercise dominion and authority and power, but we do it without righteousness that God intended us to be. And so we misuse and we abuse creation and ourselves instead of nurturing righteousness, and which leads to, to peace and shalom and flourishing what we do is we have unleashed, through the corruption of our nature, into the very creation itself, um, death and destruction and chaos. And you know as Jen's prayer alluded to <laughs> earlier, there's this sense often, it, you don't, I mean, this is just empirically true. If you just take a, a cursory glance at the news that the world is a fallen place, the natural estate of the human being is one, in which we without god live in a domain of darkness to use paul's language alienated from god hostile in our minds doing evil deeds this is our in a sense unnatural estate as humans and again um this the bible's <laughs> uh, assessment of our moral and spiritual sinfulness and fallenness is quite severe and i think we're, we're prone to downplay it but again it, it just It's empirically true it's the most empirically true thing you could ever (laughs) uh, see the dignity of the person as created in the image of god and uh incredibly fallen and sinful are two things that the bible asserts at the same time and they're very difficult to hold together and they seem like a, a contradiction um i think pascal the the 16th century philosopher captured or 17th century philosopher captured well this contradiction where he describes a human being he says what sort of freak is man Human beings are a freak of nature. We are freaks of nature and that's not a good statement What sort of freak is man how? how novel how monstrous how chaotic how paradoxical how prodigious Judge of all things, feeble earthworm. Repository of truth, sink of doubt and error, the glory and refuse of the universe. Who will unravel such a tangle? Who will unravel such a tangle? Well, the answer is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who begins to unravel this tangle. He is the only human being whoever walked the face of the earth, who truly and completely fulfilled what it means to be an image-bearer of God. Even though he was created in the likeness of sinful flesh, even though he was tempted in every way, he was completely without sin. He was, he still is, (laughs) the perfect human being. He fulfills the image of God and his humanity perfectly. So with that in mind, you hear these words of Paul. Paul says that Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, when Paul uses this statement, foremost what he has in mind is actually not to say something about Jesus' humanity But actually to say something about his full divinity he is fully and perfectly uh, god complete in equality with the father and it's interesting that many other new testament passages um, echo the language here that paul uses Uh, the book of hebrews says of jesus he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and in the Gospel of John, John is talking, or rather, uh, Philip is talking with Jesus, and he says, "Show us the Father." Show us the Father, and Jesus says to him, "If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, for I am in the Father, and the Father is in me." And you remember, perhaps, from the opening of John's Gospel, the prologue. The, the, these words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, one of the ways that the New Testament writers are seeking to communicate the full divinity and reality of Jesus is that he displays, he mirrors, he, he, he shows forth in his very person, in humanity, the fullness of God. Now, These are incredibly important statements about the full divinity of Christ. Jesus is fully and completely and without remainder God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. There is nothing that is absent or missing in him. But what's interesting is the way the New Testament uses the language of the image, or the Greek word is icon, to talk about Jesus' divinity. Um, We are, I think, prone to view Jesus' humanity, his, in which he images forth God, as a kind of tool or instrument that when he's accomplished his work, he kind of sets aside. His humanity is almost sort of secondary to his Godness. Um, you know, Once he completes the mission, um, that sort of recedes from view. Jesus does reveal to us God who God is, but this line of thinking I think often misses also that he reveals to us what it means to be a human. He reveals to us what it means to be God in revealing to us what it means to be a true human being. He is the revelation of God, but he is also the revelation of humanity. We don't often think of it in those terms, because we just said we know what a human being is, and he happened to be one, and sure, he was perfect, but What's so incredible about the New Testament witness to Jesus is that it is absolutely uncompromising, and that this Jesus was a real human being, fully and completely unabridged. He's Jesus from Nazareth, the Palestinian man in the first century, and he's still this person as the one who's ascended into heaven. And this is absolutely central to our salvation and to our confession as Christians. He reveals the fullness of God as he reveals what it means to be a human being. So all of this, I think, is really important background. As you read the New Testament, as you read the letters of Paul, to understand what it means, um, what salvation means. Salvation of the human person is restoration of our human nature to what it was meant to be. The final redemption and perfection of human nature is conformity to the image of Christ. Let me read those verses from Romans again for you. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the first, he or she, he and she might be the first among many brothers and sisters Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All aspects of our salvation, all from start to finish, all aspects of it, calling, justification, sanctification, glorification, are going towards a singular goal, which is conformity of our nature to the image of Jesus Christ, who is the true human being. This is also what is behind Colossians when Paul um, moves and shifts and he talks about don't lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self and its practices but put on the new self which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of the creator. Again, sanctification or God's restoration and salvation of the person is the renewal of our humanity to its full status as those who image forth God. So when you're this is such a foundational uh, understanding and background. As you read the New Testament, understand what is, what is God doing and when is he saving us. And what this means is that salvation, you could think of salvation as God's um, humanization project. <laughs> it's, it's God making us true human beings. It's a humanizing project. Um, we talk about sanctification um, to be sanctified, is to become holy. And we, we often don't think of that word holy as a, a word that's attractive. If somebody calls you holy, generally you take it as an insult, right? Oh, you're holy, aren't you? <laughs> but holiness is, you know, we think about holiness as being otherworldly, you know, less material, more spiritual, less practical, less useful, but maybe closer to God. But this is not the biblical understanding of holy. To, holy, to become holy is to become, yes, set apart, From that which is impure in the world but to become holy is to become whole it is to become human it is to become the person that god originally created you to be that's what it means to become holy and so god's salvation is complete when he's restored our status as image bearers clothed with glory and righteousness and honor where we actually inhabit the world the way god originally intended for us where our humanity is (laughs) god-centered now i think this is really important understanding of salvation Um, having this bigger framework to understand what god is doing and what god's goals are because we live in a time in which our lives are constantly being shaped and formed by rival and alternative understandings of what it means to be a person Let me uh, re- recall um, an insight I shared a couple weeks back from the Orthodox theologian Alexander Schmemann about what it means to live in a secular age or how he defines secularism because I think he, he really gets to the point. He, he says the secular is the negation of man as a worshiping being. Negation just means to cancel out the secular is the negation the canceling out the eradication of men and women as worshipping beings that is the logic of living in a secular age and it see again we tend to define the secular as that which is anti-religious or anti-christian or anti-god and in some cases it is but most of the time it's not it's simply the assumption Broadly held within our culture within public spaces from government to the university to civic life at all levels that God Theological reality is not necessary for understanding what it means to be a person What it means to to live life. I mean you always have that option I mean we're not going to deny you the option to think about God in your life right that you can do that but the reality is, is again, we, we absorb this, I think. All, most of the public spaces in our lives at this point largely are ah theological There's no God, right? And this forms us and shapes us into an alternative understanding of what it means to be a person. And I think we, in particular in America, um, you know, we feel this more and more, you know, the, the, what we call the culture wars, whether it's about race or sexuality, Um, Or various political things, you know, there's a sense of whiplash that I I'm I'm seeing and experiencing personally But also amongst Christians across political spectrums where we we feel like we're having to what what side am I on? You know, where do I you know, who am I with right? We felt caught in the middle of this and the reality is this is that you're not on either side no side of either culture war Uh, Fully captures what the Christian understanding of the person is but deep down here's the thing is that all these culture wars all these these Conflicts in our culture are conflicts about what it means to be a person. What is a human being? Even though that's that's unstated, but that's really what it is, right? What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to have a body when does life begin? What does it mean to to have a a, a different ethnicity in the world, right? Like, all these are questions about what it means to be a person. And it's sometimes very difficult (laughs) for us to discern what is a Christian response or understanding. And I think discern here is the right word. This understanding what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ in the practical, in the everyday, requires great discernment. And I'm reminded here of what Paul says in the beginning of Romans, uh, chapter 12, where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. And the word there, conformed, is really rich. It's like, don't allow yourself to be pressed into this mold, of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you may discern what what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, I think discernment is the right word here. We need to discern what it means to be people, human beings created in God's image in our particular time and place. And what this requires of us is a renewal of the mind, grounded in a life of worship. That's what it means, that's what it requires of us. A renewal of our mind in the image of Christ, grounded in a life of worship. So all of that is by way of introduction to this series. For the next couple months, we will be trying to answer this question. What does it mean to have a Christ-centered vision of what it means to be a man and a woman, created in God's image? What does it look like here and now in our time and place I think in, 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 in order to answer this question, we'll be paying particular attention to the numerous passages in the epistles of Paul and, and James and Peter, where they give lots and lots of moral instruction. I mean, this, this really is a sermon series on, on kind of the moral vision of the Christian life. Um, but I, I hesitate to use that language just because when we think moral, we tend to think of morals and ethics as somehow you know, separated. But what you have to see is this is that there's this this framework, this theological framework of what it means to be a person in Jesus Christ, that He is renewing us. And that all of the Bible all the scripture, Paul and the others, instructions about how to live the Christian life, is rooted in this understanding of what it means to be a person. That Jesus is the reference point. And so that that'll be what we will explore in very practical ways. Um, Over the the months to come One of the fundamental assumptions of of our secular age I've already mentioned is that there needs to be these areas these zones uh, Which are religion free God free places right neutral public spaces So the question is why make Jesus the ultimate reference point For understanding what it means to be a person. How can you even do that? I want to conclude by drawing your attention back to that hymn of Christ in Colossians 1. Because the central teaching of that hymn for Paul is that there are no Christ free zones in the world. There is no part of any aspect of creation that could ever be conceived as something that we could bracket or set aside jesus for how we understand Um, as paul says he's the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and earth visible and invisible thrones and dominions or rulers and authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together there is no place in all of creation that is free of jesus christ Because he created everything to say that he's the firstborn of creation doesn't mean that he was actually made or born but it means that he has priority before everything else he comes before everything else so everything that comes after him always has reference to him he is the image of the invisible God the exact representation of his nature there is nothing in God's nature or character that is absent in Jesus There's no part of God that we have to find or seek out in the world that somehow Jesus is missing such that he wouldn't be enough, that he wouldn't be sufficient. He is the exact representation, the image of the invisible God. He is the one who built us, right? As the one who created us, he knows how we should work. And not only is he the one who created us, he he is the one for whom we were created. It's not that God just contracted out creation to the Son, but he created things, but it was for him, for his own sake. We exist for his sake. Not that only did he build us, but we exist for him. He is the end of all of our lives, the goal of all creation. He is the one by whom all things hold together he holds it all together he is the glue of the universe he provides its unity its coherence its staying power all of god's created realm and creative activity have reference to this man jesus so there is not anything outside of him or above him or independent of him that can be free of him he is the one who holds the universe together and it's not an idea it's not like an abstract or an impersonal force, but it is a person, Jesus of Nazareth. True God and true man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glory of Christ and we pray that we would have an exalted vision of him and to learn to look at him and all his beauty and all his majesty and all his love and to then be able to look back at ourselves and to know ourselves Lord truly as you know us. Lord all of us here on a journey a sojourn through the world as we seek to become more like Jesus. Lord we're thankful that you take ultimate responsibility for that work in us. We cannot conform ourselves to Jesus but Lord we know that you have ordered our lives and our times in a way That you promise that you someday will make us to be conformed to him and that when we see him we shall be like him and so we give you thanks and praise for these promises in the name of jesus amen